of ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to this Reaction Monday edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3. The game, East Carolina loses a tough one to Charlotte. A uh, tough one for, I think, everybody involved to accept, given the ramifications of the game, given the fact that it's the first ever meeting between the 49ers and the Pirates in football, and definitely disappointing for ECU to drop this football game. So we have a lot of things to talk about, naturally, and a lot of upset Pirate fans. If anybody would like to call in, we are taking live calls today. In fact, we already got a live caller. Uh, I'll get the number here for you in a second. Yeah, so 252-561-8255 will be our our call-in number today. Pirate Nation, understandably frustrated. It's a... You know, you, you can lose you lose games to Rice and, and to Marshall App State. I think okay, there's uh, there's people that are upset, uh, but when you lose to, to to Charlotte and the bad Charlotte team at that at home with forty thousand people in the stands, it's you know you're going to get a lot of disappointment, and frustration. So I tell you what, let's go straight to the phone lines. We already got Cameron holding on, so we'll patch Cameron through. Cameron, how's it going? Even man, uh, not not going too good being a Pirate fan. Uh, it was just frankly embarrassing what we witnessed on Saturday. There, thankfully, I was in Austin, Texas, seven miles away from that disaster of a performance. Uh, Stephen, you've been around the program a long time, so I just love to hear you know. It, it, you know, a lot of times you know, emotional, especially with emotions of a game like that, just performance of the season in general. What what are your honest thoughts, Stephen, as a reporter of the changes that need to be made uh, at the end of the season, coaching staff wise? And do you think if we go one eleven, John Gilbert may have to even think about possibly the money for a buyout to Mike Houston? Because I just feel like the fans are starting to lose faith in Houston. Uh, it's just a total disaster here in year five. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks, Cameron, for the call. I mean, fair questions. Look, I think you got to call a spade a spade at this point. I mean, you, you got to make changes offensively. I, I just talking with people. I don't expect it to happen midseason. At the end of the season, I would be stunned if there is not some sort of reset on offense. Obviously, there's been a lot of heat on Donnie Kirkpatrick. It's year five. The offense, like, we love Donnie in this business, but the offense is just, it, it's arguably the, the worst in ECU football modern history. So, you have to figure that out uh, and, and likely make changes there. Um, and if you do that, then you're going to have to try to go out and get some guys through the transfer portal because, to be honest, the talent is not there either. So, to me, you got to figure out a way to reset the offense uh, and from coaching personnel and develop the guys that are in the program. Hopefully, retain them that are uh, you know possible difference makers as well. You know, with that comes if if Mike Houston returns. Can you retain the defense, which outside of Julius Wood and Jeremy Lewis, you should have eligibility remaining for pretty much every prominent player defensively. So there's an argument to be made for sure that if you can just fix the offense, again, easier said than done, you can be become pretty good overnight. As far as if ECU goes 1-11, which to me is a very real possibility, given the inability right now to score the football. I mean, it's just... 
you look at the games ahead, you're an 18-point dog at UTSA. You're going to be a double-digit dog at home to nationally ranked Tulane. Then you go on the road to FAU and to Navy, and then you close with Tulsa. I think Tulsa is a is a winnable game at this point. I don't think they're very good, but at that point, what are the the motivations going to be if you're you know one and ten? And ECU can win at FAU at Navy. I'm not saying they can't go win. They but when you can't score, it's going to be tough to win. So there's a very real possibility ECU could go through the season if they finish one eleven without a single win over an FBS team. And if that happens, you have to ask the, a lot of hard questions. I mean, I think financially it's not super feasible given the fact that Coach Houston has three years after this year left on his contract and is set to make 1.4 base salary uh, million each of those years. So essentially donors would have to step up and write that check. Otherwise, I just don't necessarily see it being feasible. But with five games left, there's still a lot of time for anger to build, and that you know, I I, I wouldn't 100% rule it out. I don't think that's necessarily the answer, but let's see how these five games play out. You know, they've been able to keep this defense playing hard, and again, if they can retain the defensive side of the ball and fix the offense, to me, I know people have said, hey, you're gonna have to rebuild this offseason. I think you just need to rebuild one side of the ball if you can retain those guys, and if they can, st- you know, if you if you retain Coach Houston. You can retain Blake Carroll and his defensive staff, and I think the defensive players really enjoy playing for Coach Houston. So that's my answer to that, Cameron. Not, not sure if you're still on hold, but uh, that's what I got there. All right, so if you want to call in and talk about anything, our number again is 252-561-8255. Again, 252-561-8255. Taking any and all callers today. After a uh, disappointing 10-7 to loss to Charlotte, Philip Pilkington is our producer today. I'm going to try to get him talking uh, when he's not answering phones. So, Philip, look, I mean, I, I, I don't even know what we can say about the actual game on Saturday. It was just two bad offensive teams going at it. And to be honest, ECU probably shouldn't have even scored a single point. So it's, it's just disappointing there uh, as another caller comes through. And without the muff punt, it was the uh, you're looking at a possibility where ECU gets shut out. So, yeah, there was the play where Jalen Johnson appeared to to make a uh, fourth down catch that would have put ECU within the ten. Replay showed it wasn't a catch. Maybe you could have got some points on the board there. The Andrew Conrad miss, of course, after the Julius Wood pick was disheartening. So, you know, just a a tough time. But at the end of the day, you finished with 127 yards of offense against a a solid defense but not a great defense, and it's just disappointing. All right, we got Zach on hold. Let's head back to the live line. Zach, what's up? Hey, I go. Uh, can you hear me all right? Yeah, I got you. All right, cool. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. I, uh, you know, I've had a couple of days to, to process my thoughts, and, you know, I've been calling for Donnie to be uh, to be fired for, I think, going on three years now. So, um, you know, the knee-jerk reaction – is to go ahead and start calling for Mike Houston's head. And, uh, you know, I was yelling that on Saturday, but if you take a step back and you think about it, the only argument that people have is, well, Ruffin got fired for going five and seven. Why isn't he getting fired? And I agree, man, this is, this is a terrible performance, but you're chasing a bad decision by making another bad decision. There's no going back on the Ruffin thing. That, that's a, a moot point. And I think it would be doing our university a disservice 
by compounding that with another decision to that level. Now, with that being said, I do think that Coach Houston's got some crow to swallow, man. I mean, he has done a horrific job of keeping this fan base together because even at the beginning of this year, uh, whenever fans started to kind of voice their opinions on the offensive production, his response, and I, I understand maybe he was trying to keep the locker room together, but it was it was the fans' fault. It wasn't their fault. Uh, that said more about the fans. And then, you know, a couple years ago, he was telling everybody to go fly a kite. Um, if you go around the country, you can find people everywhere that will tell you that this fan base is passionate and we are special. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of overindulged on Saturdays. So for anybody in the club level that, club level that heard me, I uh, – I do apologize for letting my passion get the best of me, but uh, you know he needs to go and and try and figure out a way to an extend an olive branch to this fan base because uh, we thought that we had hit rock bottom. Well, we hit bedrock and we kept going. Uh, this is bad, but the only way to keep going forward is to make amends, try and make amends with the fan base. But uh, the last thing that I've got is. Um, you know, I, I understand you want to wait until the end of the season to uh, to let go of Donnie. You know, I, I do think that he's gone regardless at the end of the year. But um, you kind of get a free play at, you know, seeing what you've got in the cupboard as far as an offensive coordinator potential replacement. And while, yes, we've still got the same players on offense, we've got what we've got. But it lets you see – what uh, what somebody like Shane Montgomery can do as far as opening up the playbook, and he kind of gives you a, a blueprint, and you get to be able to have five weeks of let's see what he's got, and if it's not good, then we go outside and bring somebody else in. Um, but we need to do something soon because these recruits uh, are going to start making decisions that leave the program, and also you're going to have to be able to hit the, the, the uh, transfer portal hard this year. And the longer that we wait, the longer we get behind that ball. I uh, appreciate you, man. I appreciate all you do. I know you had a rough weekend, um, had a sick dog, uh, you know, got got the little one at home. So I uh, appreciate all the work that you do, man. I know sometimes it's a thankless job, but uh, we, we really do appreciate everything that you do for us and, and the voice that you give us, man. So thanks for all you do. Appreciate it, Zach. Great call, man. And, uh, yeah, it's just as far as the moving on now, from the you know play calling position, I asked Coach Houston after the game. You know, do you consider that? And it just seems like for right now that they, they want to stay away from that. Maybe they eventually make that move with two, three games left if this continues, or they just wait till the end of the season. But I, I'm honestly kind of with you. I mean, you have Shane Montgomery. If he's not the answer because he runs a totally different scheme, I've heard great things about Aaron R, uh, the tight ends coach. He is extremely young, and this is his first year really having his own room but kind of like we've said like the offense can't get any worse really and so why not give it a shot with five games left but they just don't seem to want to go there for whatever reason now uh and then coach houston with the you know addressing the fans i do think you know there are a lot of it does come from the standpoint he looks at as the you know the lead speaker of the program and everything he says is going to be you know taken in the locker room and you know, they kind of react to it their way. So his first priority is keeping those guys in line. I do agree there are some things he can say, especially at his press conferences, whether it's just, you know, saying, look, this is, you know, my fault. It starts at the top. We got to get it fixed. We will get it fixed, taking some accountability, even an apology after a game like this where, again, 40,000 people showed up 
to Dowdy Ficklin Stadium to watch two one and five teams go at it on homecoming, and a lot of disappointed, angry fans left. So we'll see how Coach Houston addresses it this week. I don't think. Look, I know Coach Houston really well. I think he's a great guy. I think he understands there are passionate fans. I think he just gets frustrated with the ones that are over the top and start attacking the kids. And maybe he can do you know a little bit better job, like we all can in certain aspects of our job. But you know, as far as addressing the you know the passionate fans who really do want the best for ECU and, and mean the best. All right, we also got Richard standing by. Let's get to Richard. Then we'll take a break. But uh, Richard, you're up. Hey, I go. Appreciate y'all having me on. So, yeah, that game was obviously brutal. Uh, I came up from Tampa, Florida, loyal alum. I can't think of a game. I mean, we lost A and T in 2019, I believe, 2018-2019 season. But this one definitely hit worse, Carter. Homecoming, Charlotte trying to people are trying to say that we're rivals is an insult. Charlotte D two in my mind, we should never stoop to their level. They are picked dead last in the conference and we came to score a touchdown. So, to put it like, bluntly, if you have two quarterbacks, then you don't have one. We still are trying to figure out who could be the guy. At this point, it looks like no one could be the guy. Uh, and I'm scared as a fan. I believe purple and gold. I feel as if East is going to get left behind again. It's one thing with, with the Big East, how Virginia Tech left to go up there. Then, yeah, he does in the program took off. And then ECU with all the realignment. I know I called in about two or three weeks ago, and he said ECU – has the worst timing ever, and with potentially some teams leaving ACC, ECU will make a lot of sense logistically. Our play does not make sense right now for football, and as you know, football is the largest you know revenue generator. So, if it was me, I would have put a for sale sign in Donnie's front yard right after that game. Is embarrassing, um, and I'm just trying to see how the Pirates can move forward because I'm scared that players like Marlon Gunn from Louisiana. Uh, Two-lane ranked team, and he went up for the ECU. I'm scared of players transferring, and as a previous caller said, recruits leaving also. It's it's uh, pretty bad, and, and you know I'm trying to look forward, but it's hard to look forward and with the uncertainty of what's going to happen. But Houston's going to have to fire Donnie. I say immediately, save his job. I'll give him one more year if it brings back to ball relevancy. But if it's not good next year, then his then he's done too. But what's your thoughts on that? Appreciate the call, Richard. Yeah, I mean, I, I think really. We saw last year East Carolina go, what, 8-5, and five, win the bowl game, and we still saw prominent players leave that had eligibility remaining. I think you're going to lose guys either way. The thing you got to avoid is a mass exodus, and how do you address that? If I'm John Gilbert, I'm asking Coach Houston, all right, this season clearly not going the way anybody wants it to, but how do we keep the foundation together, whether it's through certain NIL means or just sending a certain message to you know, certain players on the roster that this is going to get fixed. How do we keep it from being a situation where, hey, the whole defensive line, which has been in the program four years, is kind of the backbone of the defense? Make sure they come back for year five. Make sure the linebackers come back, uh, the the key secondary guys. I mean, there's already some players' dads tweeting about looking at other options, so I don't think that's necessarily helping, but it's the reality. Is that That's my biggest factor as far as going forward is how do you keep it together if you go to intend one and eleven, and make sure you you retain as much of those key guys as possible. I mean, last year we saw ECU have a good year, and then Jaira Wilson left, Malik Fleming, Avery Jones, Nashad Strother, just to go get paid essentially. So you're going to lose some guys. You just can't lose really the the whole room, so to speak, uh, or the whole locker room. And 
I don't necessarily, you know, I've talked to some players' parents, and I don't necessarily think that would happen. I think specifically on the defensive side of the ball, they just want to see the offense score more points. They know they you know, they like playing for Coach Harrell. So, again, I think if you can keep it together and and find a way to fix the offense this season and probably go to the portal and, whether it's legal or not, go buy a quarterback, go buy an offensive tackle and a receiver with the means you have, I think you can become a good team overnight. And, you know, they, they went out, they got Isaiah Winstead, they got Justin Red, they got uh, some other receivers from the portal in past years that came in and, and did well last year. So it's not like they haven't gone out and, and succeeded in that, but uh, they got to find a way to do that again. And part of that is, is the NIL front. But great, great, uh, great call, Richard. Appreciate the support. All right, let's get a break in. We will come back. We'll continue to take your calls. Again, 252-561-8255, 252-561-8255. This is Hoist the Colors on a Reaction Monday. We'll be right back. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Yes, that was so good. 194.3, the game. Welcome back into Monday's edition of Hoist the Colors. Reaction Monday, ECU loses to Charlotte 10-7. to We've got a few comments. we got a few callers on hold, so I'll run through these quick. Uh, Facebook, Chase says, too bad number one draft picks aren't a thing in college. He also says Donnie Kirkpatrick didn't drop the passes or fail to block or throw bad balls. That is true, but he also, he's been the OC for five years. He's recruited a lot of these players. If this was year one, I think you'd give him a pass, but year five, it's, you know, just the reality is kind of hard to. John Moody says ECU Tulane is set for a 3.30 kickoff on ESPN2 or ESPNU. So there's that'll be a national TV game against the nationally ranked Green Wave. All right, we got Mike on hold, then we'll get to Scott. Let's go to Mike first. Mike, what's up? Hey, Steve. I hope everything's going well. Um, I know NIL is, what, two, three years old at the max. We keep leaning on that as a crutch for this year. But the players that Mike Houston has have been, this is his fit five years in, right? We can't continue to use NIL as a crutch. ECU is never going to be able to play on that field realistically. We're not going to have Vince McMahon come cut us a blank check and say, here guys, do what you got to do to succeed. We have to perform with the players that we have in house. NIL is never going to be the answer for us because ECU doesn't have the pocket. So we have to do something a little different somehow, some way to be able to compete. Uh, I don't believe Rice has a better NIL deal than us, Charlotte, whoever else we've lost to, some yes, of course. But we have to be able to compete at least in the American uh, with the players that we have and not by buying them. Uh, again, it's, it's five years in, and these players were pre-NIL. So I'll hang up and listen to your thoughts there. I mean, that's a great great points, Mike. I mean, I think <sighs> – my my thing on the NIL is going forward. If you want the quick fix this off season, you know you retain the staff. You're going to realistically go. If you want to get a transfer quarterback, you're going to have to to go buy one realistically. But as far as your points, I mean no, that's completely fair. And I think that's the most disappointing thing is that you know you have lost some players to NIL, but in reality, if you look at guys like Avery Jones and Nashad Strother, I know Avery Jones for sure. Without the COVID year, he would not have had an extra year of eligibility. Uh, Strother may have still had one year left, but there, you know, Malik Fleming, Jar Wilson, a lot of those guys that fall into that boat that transferred out, they would have been gone anyway. They were already graduated. They got the extra year due to COVID. And so really you should have had the next guys ready to go regardless. And that's what's so frustrating. And you're right. 
I think Charlotte has a better NIL right now due to Biff Pogey and his background. But, you know, at the same time, it's year one, and they clearly have issues. You shouldn't lose them at home. Rice has an NIL presence, but it's not overwhelming, and I don't think it's anything that much greater than ECU, if at all. Uh, that you, know, you can't use it as a valid excuse. I don't know Marshall and App's situation, but that, to me, there's no way they have a gigantic NIL presence at this time. So that's four of your six losses that really you can't use NIL as an excuse. Michigan, I mean, it's Michigan. We all know what they're paying there. SMU is a valid, I mean, they, they're buying players 30 grand at minimum. So I think that's, uh, I mean, it's a fair point, Mike. I think either way, whether it's recruiting going forward or transfer portal, to me, it's got to be a combination of both. You have to have some NIL presence, but you're always going to have to be able to identify and develop talent. And if you can't do that at ECU, you can't have long-term success. That's just a reality. So uh, good thoughts there. Let's get to uh, Scott, who is uh, standing by. Scott, you still there? Yep, I'm here. What's up? Oh, it's good to talk to you, Stephen. What's uh, going on, man? under bad circumstances. But, uh, you know, I just want to call in, talk about what what I'm seeing so far, and it's just our inability to defend our position within the state and – um, you know, against North Carolina teams. You know, Mike Houston's been here for five years, and the teams from North Carolina that he's beaten are Gardner-Webb and Campbell. Uh, we've lost to App multiple times now. We've lost to an upstart Charlotte team. Obviously, we haven't beaten NC State in a while uh, and haven't gotten to play UNC or Duke but uh, and Wake Forest. But, you know, there was a time where we defended our home turf and we defended – ourselves against other teams in this state and we just have not done it over the last five years and I think what we're starting to see with that is some of the passion and the pride in East Carolina kind of fade away. Uh, There was a fourth down play in that game Saturday and it felt like the crowd just wasn't getting loud, wasn't getting up for it and just watching us go three and out, three and out and three and out, it's so dejecting as a fan and I can't imagine how that must be on the defense as a player to to go out there and do your job and stop the other team and then just have to do it again and again, you know, with a minute and a half rest. So I just want to see us going forward, see Mike Houston show a little bit of that passion that he showed his first interaction with us uh, in Menji's where he said uh, we had a score to settle with the Wolfpack. I just haven't seen that after the first couple seasons, and I think we need to get back to it. Um, you know, I've been coming to ECU games for a long time, and and leaving that Charlotte game was one of the worst feelings I've ever had as a fan. Scott, great call, and we'll Scott Lorbacher, we'll get him back on uh, come baseball season for our roundtable show. So appreciate you calling in, man. Uh, passionate fan, also you know, a member of uh, the Hoist of Kellers community. I. Good, good points. Uh, the inability to win the regional in-state games has been super disappointing. And I remember Mike Houston year one, going into year one, where he was talking about that NC State game, saying, like you said, had a score to settle. We're going to go bust them in the mouth, that sort of stuff. And I think we have seen, at least from the public perspective, some of that fade away. And look, if you're going to, it's, it's hard to be up there saying those things when I guess you have one win. But it even seems like at times we've seen that kind of fade away. Uh, as some losses have hit, so to speak. So 
it's but also when you keep losing the games, it's harder to step up and, and say that as well. So I, I agree. I would like to see you know some of that passion return, but you also got to just perform better on the field, and, and to a degree, it takes care of itself. I mean, if Owen Daffer, if he hits that field goal, or if you you know if you're the coaching staff, you get more aggressive there and go score a touchdown against NC State last year, or try to get closer for the field goal. You know, how much does that possible win change the trajectory of the program, the feeling of the fan base, if you have that win instead of it being kind of an empty, close loss? But uh, it, it's a tough spot right now, Scott. There's no doubt about it. Um, it's just when you're, what, 0-5, 0-4 now, I think 0-5 after Charlotte against FBS in-state teams, that, that's going to hurt your recruiting, whether you uh, want to admit it or not. Philip, what's up? Yeah, you know, this is just a uh, – no, sorry, I had a little uh... – Technical. Technical problem. You can hear me, though, right? I can hear you, yes. I know we're trying ah, to there we the go. There, there we go. go. Sorry we about that. We finally have Philip on camera for yeah. those watching our stream. First time in a long time I've been on camera. But, no, you're 100% right. It's going to hurt hurt recruiting. Now, obviously, we're not in the same recruiting pool, especially now the NIL is a thing with North Carolina, NC State, Virginia Tech. But, you know, when you talk about the other local schools, the last time we beat a team that's really right in our pool right here – Recruiting, I would say, is is Old Dominion a couple years back. Yeah, Old Dominion and and uh, what was that? Houston's. Well, I guess they beat them last year, yeah. and they beat them on the road. That's true. Yeah, they beat them last year. So, um, but when you're losing to Appalachian State and to Charlotte, and uh, that's gonna. I mean, if you're a kid, look, I kids do want to play, and I think maybe now. Being able to play means more than it used to, but to the kids who winning is everything, the kids who would rather sit on the bench for a couple of years and win as opposed to start and lose, you're going to lose those kids solely because of the fact that you aren't beating the other teams in which are recruiting them, a.k.a. Charlotte, Old Dominion, you know, Appalachian State, and so on. So, yeah, it's it's tough, and uh, we're only making it tougher on ourselves. But hopefully, you know, there's five games left in the season, and obviously, we as fans are, are you know kind of calling it a wash for a year. But if you're Mike Houston, the staff, you have the mindset of a six and six is still possible, and a bowl game is still possible, and that's the mindset I can tell you that they have, and uh, they're going to try every do everything they can to to win the last five. Uh, good thoughts, Philip. Uh, I'll get to a few of these comments on YouTube, then we'll take a break. Uh, Emmanuel says it's going to be hard to find an impactful OC after a two and ten or one eleven year. You know, you 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 can find a good offensive coordinator for four hundred twenty thousand dollars, and that's you know what I think ECU is paying Donnie Kirkpatrick right now or close to it. So if they make that move, there's a lot of young OCs or young assistant coaches on offense that want to get their shot and that would be willing to bet on themselves. So I think you can get one. You may not get the slam, slam dunk hire, but you can get a very good OC for what ECU is paying right now in terms of the American. Uh, Pirate2031 says the offense was horrific on Saturday. I was praying for a pick six so we could score, and we almost got it. Defense had to do it all on Saturday. I'll tell you what, Philip, why don't we put Julius Wood on offense based on what I saw? Yeah, he can catch, and uh, that's for sure. We had the uh, we actually did um, Patrick stream earlier today, just due to him having to obviously make it over to you guys for the um, the coaches show tonight. But uh, we were talking about the fact that these kids are dropping footballs, and they're D one athletes. I mean, I get they're going to make mistakes, and you know who are we who've never even got recruited to go back on a D one athlete? But dropping the football is 
the easiest thing to fix. It's seven games in. They haven't fixed it. Everybody wants to talk about how bad Mason played. Well, he was four for 12, and there were three drops. So seven for 12 is not great. but And receivers not, falling down, yeah, come out of breaks. Receivers falling down, come out of breaks. So to answer your question, would, at this point, would you put Julius Wood on offense? Heck, why not? I mean, yes, he's not used to probably running and stemming a route and then breaking and looking back at the quarterback. But, hey, you know what? At this point, it, it can't get any worse. Just... It yeah. can't get any worse. Yeah, just do it old, you know, 1A high school style where, um, you know, they uh, – sorry about that. Uh, do it 1A high school style where the kids play both ways for all I care. I don't know. you got to figure out something. I think uh, we've reached a point I'd be completely fine with Julius Wood and Antoine Jackson on offense. I mean, Antoine Jackson was a two-way guy in high school. Give him a shot. Give him a reason to hang around and, uh, you know, maybe throw him a pass or two. I don't know. I just – I don't see – enough right now from this receiving corps and, and honestly kind of ready to see some different guys get a shot. I mean, I like Josiah and Jalen and some of those guys, but, you know, we're seven games in now. And like I said earlier, eventually you call a spade a spade. Also, we're seven games in, Philip, and we still do not have a receiver that is called a touchdown pass. It, I mean, how does that even happen? Like, you, you can get lucky and, like, get a tip ball. I mean, there were times – even under Scotty Montgomery and under, obviously, Ruff McNeil and Skip Holtz, where you had receivers catching multiple touchdown passes in a quarter and a half. We are seven games in. I'm mystified. Yeah. The thing is, though, is is that on the receivers maybe a little bit? But how it's many plays everyone. have we really ran inside the 20-yard line? I would love to see the total play count through seven games of how many plays you've snapped inside the 20. And not that you can't score from outside the 20, but let's be honest. Most touchdowns come from when you were down near the goal line. And uh, the exception of that, uh, whatever FCS team we played, Gardner-Webb, we haven't had many plays inside the red zone to throw the ball to wide receivers in the end zone. So, And there's no big plays. Yeah, oh, that has been the other thing. That was And that was the one thing, and we're not going to tone back too much on two weeks ago. I understand what Mike Houston said as to why he didn't go for it on fourth and two. I get his point. But the reason why I was against it was because even if you got the ball back perfectly, you were going to be down two scores with four minutes ago. We've had no explosion plays all year. I get we lost Keaton. By the way, shout out to Keaton for his first NFL reception yesterday. But there's been no – have we had a single play this year over like 25 yards other than maybe like there was one play at App, I think, where Flynn took off and there was like seven great blocks by receivers down the field. Other than that, I don't think we've had a play over like 25 yards all year. I know – I think Camaro's run on Saturday was around that total. He bounced off a guy, may have been closer to 30. But, I mean, Josiah made the big catch at Rice. But outside of that, I'm sure I'm missing one. I guess Chase Sowell, he had a big play against SMU. But, I mean, to only have a handful seven games in when teams are doing that, you know, we saw Keith Mitchell do that in a half last year. So part of his talent, of course, but, uh, again, year five, it is what it is. All right, let's take a break. We've got to get another break in. We'll come back. If you got, uh, if you want to call in, 252-561-8255. If you got a comment, leave it on YouTube, Facebook. We'll run over some of those as well. Again, 252-561-8255. We will be right back. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Ah-har-ray-kay. Back to the show with Steve and I go on 94.3 The Game. Into the show, Reaction Monday, ECU loses to Charlotte 10-7. to Philip Pilkington producing, I think he's on the phone right now. Let's head to the comments section. 
Daniel wants to know what steps would you take that would be the most meaningful slash impactful to turn this program around as quickly as possible? Loaded, but great question. I would, I think if, if you're talking about turning it around as quickly as possible, I would make a total, I would do a total offensive reset, new staff, go trying to get uh, some transfer impact players and how I would do that. And I'm not in charge of Team Boneyard uh, and don't know exactly how this process is ran, but I would take a large portion of the funds for NIL and dedicate it to getting impact transfers. And I would take the other portion of the funds and dedicate it to the top portion of my roster, probably the top 20 players, top 25, 30 players, make sure they're retained as much as possible, and then go try to buy a quarterback, a receiver, and an offensive tackle. And if you can retain the defense and do those things, you look at next year's schedule, the schedule is pretty favorable. You actually get a easy game. I shouldn't say easy because nothing's easy at this point. You get a winnable game, Norfolk State, to open the year. I think they get App State at home, and you get uh, some pretty – I think Old Dominion and Liberty are the other non-conference games. So not going to say it's easy, but it's a it's a manageable slate. And so if you fix the offense and you retain the defense, you could have a big year next year. And that that's kind of my short way of answering that question, Daniel. All right, we got a caller on the line. You said Chris, Philip? Correct. Yep, we got Chris on the line. Chris, what's up? Hey, what's going on, guys? How y'all doing? Doing good. How about you? I'm not too bad. Um, one of my... My biggest thing is I've been watching ECU football since I could walk. Um, so one of my biggest things is, you know, I, I reiterate what a lot of the callers have said, but my biggest thing is, you know, if we're out here and we're going to start talking about, you know, making changes and all this kind of stuff, is that, has anybody even considered reaching out to someone like Shane Carden? Like having someone who has played here, who understands what this program needs, the the chip on the shoulder. I've heard Steve Logan say it. You know, rough and smack you in the face. Like we have to have that mentality. This is ECU. This isn't Carolina. This isn't State. We can't just you know literally roll out there with with great athletes. We've got to do it different. And that has to be our main focus: is finding someone who gets Eastern North Carolina, who gets ECU, and who is willing to you know go to bat to to you know fall on the saber, so to speak, for everything that we do. And I just don't see that going on right now. Uh, so, hey, appreciate your show. Love it. Uh, I'll hang up and listen. Chris, good call. I mean, I think at a place like ECU, you always have to have people that know how to identify with the fan base. I mean, this is a extremely unique place. If you didn't grow up here or didn't go to school here, people don't understand in many ways, what this place is all about. So you always do have to have people like that. I will say on the staff, they do have you know Trip Weaver, who's an alum defensively. I think he brings that passion, that chip. You see it in the secondary. And then at the same token, I think Donnie's been around it enough to understand it, but implementing it is a whole other day, a whole other deal. And I've been out to practice enough to know. I see that chip on defense from the top down with the defensive staff and the players – seems to really feed off that and offensively whether it's lack of confidence right now lack of belief I don't see it and I think they had it with Holton Aylers who was a Greenville guy and understood it I think at times Mason has tried to will it 
but you got to perform to also kind of get guys to follow you. So I do agree. Offensively, if they end up making a change there, you have to figure out how do we find the best identity for ECU. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an alum or someone like that, but you at least got to have someone who, who is familiar, understands, or fits. Like Blake Harold to me is not, you know, he's not an ECU alum. He's a North Carolina guy, a Western NC guy, but he fits ECU from his, his, you know, his mindset. And uh, I think Mike Houston does too. And I think maybe he's gone away from some of that, as we talked about with Scott earlier. But uh, I think those are, are very fair points there, Chris. So interesting thoughts, and uh, thanks for sharing. And we'll just have to see what direction they go, but definitely something they, they need to consider whatever move is made. All right, uh, we got several questions. Again, if you want to call in, we got the end of this segment. And the next segment, before we're out of here, the number is 252 five six one eight two five five philip will patch you through um we got a few more questions on youtube i can i butt in real yeah, quick I, I, I want to make one point that is based off what you just said with that mindset go for it man i think one of the things that we're forgetting and i know this is a crappy excuse to use but it's it's the truth you mentioned the coaching staff and yes the coaching staff needs that mindset but so do the players and a lot of these kids who are failing right now or not producing at the level we want them to produce, were recruited during COVID. And I know that stinks to talk about, but it is hard to understand a kid's mindset when you cannot go sit down at his house and talk to his parents at their kitchen table or have him on campus. So much about football. Look, there is a crazy amount of talented kids who can play football at this level. But if they do not buy into the mindset of the coaching staff, it doesn't matter how good they are. If Tom Brady didn't buy into Bill Belichick's coaching mindset, it wouldn't have mattered that he's the greatest to ever play the game. And unfortunately, a lot of these kids, the recruiting process was over text message, over Zoom calls. It wasn't face-to-face. And, you know, look, I know people are going to say, well, isn't every team in that same boat? Yes, they are. And just unfortunately, I think we happen to miss on some guys. And I'm not ju- saying they have bad character, but they're... I don't want to use the word character. Their personality, their way of being coached doesn't align with the culture here. So culture guys is what I should say. They don't fit your culture, and there's there's no way you could have identified that over a Zoom call. I hate to just sit there and just blame COVID, but it's 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 got something to do with it. It's not I mean, everything, but it's something. It's definitely – it plays a role. I mean, it definitely plays a role. So I think it's a fair point. And, look, I mean, there's a lot of things that have led to this point, and I think that that's one of them. And – uh ECU is a different place. You have to be different to embrace and succeed East Carolina. We all that are from here know that, and that our passionate alums know that. Um, all right, a few more things here before we get a final break in. We had somebody say it is not being talked about enough, but last year uh, average to underperforming team with all that talent is really, really starting to stand out now. And, I mean, yeah, if you win some of those really last year, you look at the talent, you could have easily been a 10-win team, and just those few plays at the end of games cost you. And also you could argue the offense could have been better, given what we've seen from Keaton Mitchell in his brief NFL time, pro time, Holton Aylers. It took him a long time to figure it out. Why did it take him that long? I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, did it have something to do with the scheme? Did he finally get free reign going to year five? So that Valid point there. Uh, Scott says Shane Carden, referencing our previous call, is a high school football coach in Idaho. I love him, but we can find someone with the qualifications that also gets football at ECU. I think, look, if Shane wanted to come back 
and be an analyst or be a quarterback's coach or some sort of assistant that, you know, if he wanted to do that, move across the country. And I've talked to Shane. I, I know he's very comfortable in Idaho. I don't necessarily know if he, if he wants to do that, but I would be all for bringing him on as some sort of assistant, but I agree. He just doesn't have the right now, although great experience as a player doesn't have the coaching acumen and qualifications to like just be an OC overnight, but I'm all for, Hey, if he wants to come be an analyst, help out, you know, heck, coach receivers do something. He played receiver once at ECU. Just to have him in the program, I'm all for it. But he's got to want to do that. Chuck says, what about former offensive lineman Dwayne Ledford? He's now an O-line coach with the Atlanta Falcons. He, you know, I think would be interested if there's ever a head coaching availability here. He's an ECU alum and a very successful coach. But I don't think he's coming to be an OC uh, right now with what he's getting paid in the NFL. All right, so a few more things here on Facebook as well. We got uh, some questions here. Somebody says the O-line is the worst I've seen it at East Carolina. Pro Football Focus, to that point, ranks ECU last in FBS football and pass protection, and I think like 115th in run blocking. So that's a that's a big concern. you got to not only get a quarterback, in my opinion, you got to find a way to get some linemen. Don or Dan Clapton says, as long as we keep bringing thirty to 40,000 fans a game, I don't think the administration is having a problem with the coaching and leadership. Just think if we had ten to 15,000 show up. Well, I don't think that's necessarily the answer. John Gilbert, this administration was on the phone all of yesterday talking to donors. They know that yesterday or Saturday was unacceptable and that the donors are not happy with what's happening right now. So, I don't think they're just going to accept status quo. And I know that John Gibbon and Mike Houston have met multiple times since Saturday's game. And I think that, you know, what those conversations were, I have no idea. But I'm sure it's being addressed and it will be addressed to try and fix this thing going forward. The football department winning football games is what funds the athletic department. So uh, we got Thomas on the line. Got to take a break here shortly. We'll get Thomas in quickly. Thomas, what's up? Hey, how y'all doing today? Doing well. Well, what scares me about this whole barn fire, dumpster fire we got going on at Greenville right now is Wednesday afternoon, Donnie's going to jump on there, laugh, media, everybody's going to eat it up. Mike's going to get on there and do it again, eat it up. And then we're going to go to another ball game and underperform. Something at some point in Greenville has to click. If Donnie's the problem, Houston needs to take care of it. If he doesn't take care of it, Gilbert needs to take care of both the problems. You know, I know it's going to cost us three point two, you know, whatever to get out of to get out of the situation we're in. It's not the first time we paid multiple coaches to try to improve our situation, but at some point, something has to be done to turn things around in Greenville. Or you're going to see smaller and smaller crowds of these games. The fan base is going to get smaller and smaller. Recruiting is going to be worse, and this is not something we can turn around next year. But at some point, somebody in Greenville has to make a decision. Somebody in Greenville has to put people on notice. And, you know, I wonder where Gilbert is now. We've not seen anything come out where he's saying he's supporting Mike or he's talking with him. So where is he even then following this conversation? And that's what we need to see is leadership at ECU at some point if we want to get this right. Fair points, and uh, thanks for the call. And I, I think I think it's inevitable we will see change, Thomas. It's just when is the change coming? How is that message sent? And what is the plan going forward? I, you know, just from talking with everyone around football, the administration, I mean, it, you can't have this type of season and there not be change. If, if this is going to be the status quo or if people are fine with this, then I might as well quit, 
you know, covering the team because the fans are going to stop caring. So I don't think that there's anybody happy and that the status quo is going to continue going forward. So to me, there's going to be change. Probably the change you reference at some point is just a matter of when does it come. And, uh, you know, that's ultimately John Gilbert and Mike Houston's decision. And, you know, then you got to figure out what the plan is going forward if Coach Houston, you know, continues on with his three-year contract uh, going into next year, starting next year. So, all right, let's get our final break in. We will come back. We will wrap up the show on this Reaction Monday. This is Hoist the Colors. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back in. We got to quickly go to the phone lines for about a time. We got someone standing by who refers to himself as the one non-ECU football fan in Greenville. So, what's up? Hey, man, look. I hear everybody talking about firing the coaches and this, that, and the third. Unless the coach has lost the locker room, you don't fire the coach. The players are out there not playing. The offensive line sucks. You can't expect any quarterback to get the ball off. And when they do get the ball off, your receivers should be playing defense because God gave them boards, not hands. They don't catch the ball. They don't. And when it's third and one or fourth and one, you don't back your quarterback up on a quarterback sneak from the shotgun position. You put him up under center and you get a yard. That's all you got to do. You put him up under center and you get a yard. That's how you get those third and one with a quarterback sneak. Well, I, that's the that only coaching, coaching thing that I have a problem with. Well, that's your offensive coordinator, isn't it? Yeah. Somebody needs to tell the offensive coordinator, hey, put the dude up under center. Brady did it for years in the NFL. Well, that's he made a, it look easy. I agree. That's the coaching decision. And the, the coaches also recruited the players who aren't catching and blocking right now. I mean, this is year five. So I think that's why a lot of the anger is at the coaches. Well, I, I got that. But like, Aren't the coaches – didn't Mike do good with Holt Nailers and them boys? He, he went to two bowl games. He did. I don't think I he mean, forgot how to coach, okay, but so he's got to re- recruit and develop exactly. talent to coach. Well, I mean, and you said something about they're recruiting, like, through a Zoom call. Do you think Mac Brown's doing a Zoom call or he's going to somebody's house? Well, I was saying that during COVID they could not go to the players' houses. That was just a COVID thing. That was that was me saying. But that was three years ago. And those are the kids right now that are failing, or not succeeding, I should say. The kids well, who got recruited that way are the ones that are having the issues. Right. I mean, how bad is ECU football if the guys on the bench can't get a starting job with the guys that suck that are playing? Right now, it's bad. Hey, we got to go, man. We, I mean, I would. We're, we're out of time. I go. You should be a receiver at this point. I, I I'm would. sure you can get eligibility. Somebody can throw. You can catch, can't you? I can catch if nobody's going to hit me. How about that? So we'll we'll, tr- we'll try and draw that up. All right, thanks for the call. we got to get out of here. Great show. And I uh, appreciate all the callers, all the comments. There's a lot of comments we did not get to, and we'll get to those tomorrow when Joe Sampson joins us. A lot of good questions we'll address. This has been Hoist the Colors on a Reaction Monday. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 12 noon.